it's really nice to say hi and I'd love to have a moment with you after but I'm here with dinner with my girlfriends or I'm with my date which has happened but yeah, um, yeah. so yeah. there's an odd thing that happens when you're recognized Emmy spelled E-M-M-E is a famous supermodel she trailblazed the path for the plus-size community by being the first curvy fashion model to have her own billboard in Times Square and the first to also be featured on a Revlon commercial during the Academy Awards. When I told my sisters I would be working with Emmy to help her set up her new online presence, my sisters shrieked, she's the host of Fashion Emergency! I felt like a movie star by association, but Emmy wasn't discovered walking down the street. In a way, she discovered herself. My life would have been so different if I hadn't just said, why not? My name is Ina, and I want to take you into the mind of someone who has achieved international success and has never stopped evolving. In her new pivot as an executive leadership, wellness, and life coach, Amy is about to show us what it is like to follow our dreams, even when everyone tells us that that dream is not for us. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts while you're taking a shower, take your soapy finger across the screen and give us a quick five-star review and say something nice. It really helps support the show. And thanks. Here's the interview with a trailblazer who never quits, Emmy. This is The Global Phenomenon with Ina Koveny, the podcast where the self-made teach you to stop waiting to be discovered and prepare to be found. Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Global Phenomenon. And today I am here with supermodel Emmy. Emmy, it's so nice to see you today. So wonderful to join you on The Global Phenomenon, Ina. So great. Oh, this is going to be an amazing conversation because you have a career that, you know, as I was looking at it, I'm like, there is so much to unpack and to learn from here because I really feel like there's so many people who want to make it out there, who want to put themselves out there as big shining stars in the world. And there is always something holding them back. And your career is studded with all of these lessons that I want to just start diving in. But first, why don't you tell us a little bit of who you are and what you do? Sure. I'm known in the world as the world's first curvy supermodel. And I started my, my career in modeling back in the 1990s before the internet. Yes, mm -hmm. indeed. <laughs> so I have a lot of frequent far miles, a million miler on a couple. So um, it was really, really wonderful to be able to get out into the world and share my story, uh, hear what other women and men were talking about and how we aligned so much on feeling uh, our body image and self-esteem was somewhat as askew and that we were all searching to feel better, to thrive in our lives. And I got a chance to write a few books. Uh, I've had clothing lines. I have been a Renaissance woman in a different categories and in different industries, had great successes, had really wonderful failures, and I'm alive to talk about it. So today I'm a life coach which really is fitting and, and I'm loving every single day. Every single client has been just, uh, it reflects back to me of how far I've come and how far everyone can go if they just take a chance on themselves. 
And that is one thing that I really noticed about your career is how varied it was. And so I want to start, first of all, I found this article from the New York Times, 1997. And I learned I, I, I learned so much about you. I'm going to put the link to the article in the description because I learned so much about you in just this one article. Um, like you had a billboard on Times Square for Liz Claiborne. And so, I mean, that all sounds so amazing, but I was- Ever, of anyone curvy. It was kind of crazy, yeah. I want to know what that- felt like? Well, uh, wow. I actually stood there the first time, the first day, like the first hour that was put up. And I kept on thinking, is this really happening? And my family threw a, a private party and the Marriott and then the Marriott overlooked right where the, uh, the billboard was. So I got my hair done and, and everybody was so excited. Some of the press came and, and they asked me the same question. I said, you know, it's time for more of a diversified reflection of beauty. I would like to see more race reflection. I would like to see more age reflection, but I'll take this. If this is size reflection, I'll take this and run. And it felt like it was the beginning of a really interesting journey. I was really honored and excited and uh, I was happy to be the first. Yeah. Uh, Can can I ask you what was happening in your life? You just said your family threw a party right by the, right on the Marriott so that they can see the billboard. What was going on inside? What were you feeling about this huge milestone? So at this point in time, I was signed with Revlon, or I was, I was just about to get signed to Revlon. I think it was just prior to me being signed with Revlon. Um, I was a host of a TV show called Ease Fashion Emergency, and that was the first reality show. Uh, and it was scripted, kind of, but it, it was at the very, very beginning of all this. So um, I was on TV. I was uh, working um in tv more than modeling mm -hmm. and uh with liz claiborne it was I, I was so surprised that they were going to put a billboard up but all of the research was really coming in that there were millions and millions of women that were not about 100 million women above a size 12 that were not seeing their reflections and that made a big big you know wake up call to the industry saying what's our bottom line and why aren't we making more money and when they figured out that they were not making the kind of clothes to, to suit women that were above a size 12, they said, oh, it's time to reflect, it's time to celebrate. And um, I was a leader in the industry at that time with a lot of, I had my own publicist, so I was communicating all the time. There, was, there were no social outlets. Mm -hmm. So I was pretty much in every newspaper, pretty much every Sunday, um, answering questions, being a columnist, uh, being, going on TV shows, and doing satellite media tours where you would start at 4 a.m. In a, in a studio in Manhattan, and you'd say, good morning, Philadelphia, good morning, uh, good morning, you know, all the different states in between, hi, Arizona, hi there, Utah, hi, California, and you're like, huh, at the end of it. So people saw me and heard my voice, and I communicated as well as read about my story and the other people that I was bringing into the story. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it was a beautiful time of awakening, I think. 
Can I ask you one more thing? Because you just mentioned the East fashion emergency. And when I told my sisters that you and I were working <laughs> together, um, they immediately said, wait a minute, she's from fashion emergency. And so what is it? I want you to, to explain to everyone who's listening, who wants to achieve this kind of notoriety and success. What does it feel like to be recognized like that, to be walking down the street, like for people who know who you are? So many years have passed since I was the host of the show and I've been a host of other shows, but nothing like fashion emergency gave me that recognition. So if I go to Italy and I'm walking in a train to Venice from Milan and I'm looking for a seat and look down and say, excuse me, my, my daughter and I have a seat here. And this woman almost has a heart attack and goes, you're Emmy. And my daughter goes, mom, how does she know that that's you? So having that type of thing happen, over and over and over again throughout the years, even to this day, uh, someone will say, were you at the, the barbecue or were you at the funeral? So it's very familiar. It's not like a very, I'm very uh, relatable, I think. Yeah. So I go, no, I was that host of the TV show. And that's when you have to brace yourself because then screams and yells and yeah, it's fun. It's really fun. It's great that you get a chance to go into people's hearts and homes and knock on wood. It hasn't been intrusive. It hasn't been bad. There's some odd things that do happen. People will slide up during dessert. And so, so I have this issue. I have this problem. And you know, you go, uh, it's really nice to say hi. And I'd love to have a moment with you after, but I'm here with dinner with my girlfriends or I'm with my date which has happened, but yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. there's an odd thing that happens when you're recognized, but it's better. It's much better on, on 90% of it. So I enjoy, I enjoy that. So I, I, I always wait for interviewers to ask this question because I really want to know if somebody sees you and notices you on the street at a restaurant, what is your preferred way for them to approach you or say hi? Like, what would you, what is the right way to do this in a way that is not intrusive? There's, there's no real right way. I just think if someone is going to be going out into public and uh, going and having a dinner, there's nothing wrong with saying hi and just respecting privacy. Uh, if you start throwing down a napkin or, um, or a piece of paper for someone to sign while they're having a dinner, I don't know. I just don't think that's, that's respectful. So um, just to say hello or keep it till later or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Like be so, respectful. Like that's a message. Be yeah. respectful out there. Just be respectful. That's okay. It's always nice to say hi. Yes. But uh, don't, don't get too comfortable where you sit down for dessert. Right, right. <laughs> um, so not only was that the very first plus-size billboard on Times Square, you also had, which I, I love this so much, the very first plus-size ad for Revlon for a major makeup uh, company, and it aired during the Oscars. Do you remember where you were the first time that you saw your Revlon commercial? So I had a little sneak peek prior to the Oscars and the Academy Awards. I, I remember thinking, oh my gosh, the whole world is going to be seeing this ad. And it was so much fun. I had the greatest time shooting it, the best crew very professional and it always whenever i got to work with really wonderful crews that have been around the block that have done everyone have worked with everyone it always raised my bar so i was so appreciative to be able to work with really fine folks so i knew whatever product was going to be reflected is going to be really wonderful yeah. um i was with a 
group of friends I remember and I think it, it like when it went on I was like I braced myself and I said okay take a deep breath just take a deep breath it's an odd thing to think that people are seeing your work especially if it all everybody that saw it definitely could see that I was not a size zero that I was you know a real regular sized woman and um the response was really really good I had such fun. I loved working with Halle Berry and Cindy Crawford and and Duff. Remember Karen Duffy from MTV? So I do. We all yeah. Together at that time, it was just really good women, and we had fun. Yeah, and and I'm gonna quote this in the New York Times article because you said something that I had to take and write down, which I loved. You said, and tell me if you remember saying this: I don't promote obesity, and I don't promote anorexia. We should all have more compassion for our differences. We don't have to be all the same to be accepted. Do you remember saying that? Oh, I do. I do. It's one of my tenets, and I appreciate you reflecting that back out. Um, did you also see that I said a cookie is just a cookie? Get over yes. it. it was a I, I, love, I love it that you said, like, you know what? Killing your husband, that's a bad thing. But having a cookie should not be compared <laughs> to something <laughs> as horrible as that. Give yourself a break. I love the reading. Pulled that out and put it, you know how the New York Times has a quote of the day? Right. They said that they pulled that quote. And I was, I just, I actually have to frame that. I have to find that newspaper. I love it. It's so true. When yeah. you really dig down and you, when you think about what value we put unnecessarily on the weight on the scale and that doesn't mean that you, you know if you are really unwell whether it's on below and below weight and above weight obviously but there's all this value of being a good person or a bad person and you know if you're worthy or unworthy and it's really damaging everyone men and women and boys and girls and sons and daughters aunts and nieces and nephews to to grow up in this world that is percolating with judgment yeah. and boy it's certainly hard to be able to get connected to that beautiful vehicle that's our body align it with our soul that's our purpose and has all the wonderful things that we're, we want to do all the motivations um, and when it's disjointed, that's when it's hard to have a good foundation. When you are aligned and you have that stern, you know, really strong foundation where you're like, you've got my back, I'm going to get yours. And you grow together, right? Not that, but grow together. Um, you can't, nothing can really get in your way. When you have a firm foundation with you know, if someone's going to be a bully to you when you're younger, it's hard when you're growing up. This is when you learn all these things. Mm -hmm. But, but as a, um, as a mom of a daughter that did get bullied, um, I was like, listen, bullies want to get rid of all that stuff that's inside of them. That doesn't feel good. It doesn't rest easy. And they see that you've got it all together supposedly. And they just want to make you feel bad. It's almost like you need to take off the raincoat. Just it come, just take off that raincoat forgive them, draw your boundary and move on, but try not to let that absorb through your skin into your soul. It's very hard, but it's practice, practice, practice. For a while then, modeling was kind of your side hustle. What was really paying the bills is you're, you're selling real estate, you're doing, you're being a marketing director for a real estate Starting. firm. Yes, yes. Right? You were a massage therapy uh, therapist at some point. Yes, when I got disillusioned with with modeling, I, I 
booked out of there. I totally got out of there and said, there is no way I want to be a model anymore. So I went and got into holistic healing because I'd always done hands-on stuff. And mm -hmm. yeah, so I did that as well. <laughs> I want to know because the people who are listening right now, they want to make it big with that thing that they love doing, right? They want to start their businesses and they really want to step out there. In the meantime, there's something that is paying the bills. And some of them almost feel like, a fraud because they're not doing what they love to do full time because they have to keep their job. Because I would love to know like, what it was like for you to work your real jobs while you were working on the modeling. It's a hustle, girl. It yeah. is a hustle. And you keep your eye on the prize and you keep the, the, the pots boiling. And um, I was, after a while, when I started getting bookings an hour here, hour there in the city, and I would never wear red lipstick and have makeup on my face at my job. I was wearing a suit and, and you know, I was meeting clients. And I was actually doing quite well with getting the, the place 80% full when it was completely empty. And so my boss was really happy giving me promotions and bonuses. Then I finally had to go into his office and I said, listen, I've got to tell you something. He goes, I knew something was going on with you. I go, I, I, I really, really, I am at my wit's end because I'm starting to get longer bookings and I can't be away from the office. He goes, do me a favor. When it's really unbearable, come back, go do what you need to do. Come back after your work and do the job that you have. So he was so flexible that I was very, very lucky. I think there was another job in there that I was doing too. At one point I was doing three jobs and then, and then at a dinner, um, our tax, our accountant sat down and said, I'm going to tell you something. There, you're, you're doing way too much. And if you really want to do a good job in anything, you have to let go of that other job at the marketing director. And you've got to focus on the modeling because if that's going to be paying you more money and you enjoy traveling, you're doing all this, it needs your focus. And it was hard because I was so used to just grinding it out and doing it. And, and um, I was almost like free falling that, well, wait a minute, I'm leaving this to, you know, and I had a big surprise, you know, farewell party. And I was told anytime I wanted to come back, I could, but that's the big, that was actually the beginning of my taking on European bookings and being gone for two to three weeks and then going all over the, you know, to England, to wherever, Australia. And um, it's almost energetically, like if you have your, your energy all dispersed, if you zero in and you focus um, at a certain point, it makes a big difference as to what's going to be coming back at you. But what was that like? Did you actually quit your job or they kind of quit you for you? They just said, I had to quit. What was that like? I, well, it felt like I was free falling. It felt like I was, I, you know, that I had to have faith in the fact that the modeling, although I never wanted to do it before, turned out to be an interesting vehicle to reflect a different type of body type that was not being reflected, whether it was catalogs and magazines. Mode Magazine was the only fashion magazine that was out there. And they all the different editors and people that came together for Mode Magazine came from all of the different uh, fashion magazines so it was wonderful um their level of expertise and reflection was wonderful so 
I, I thought, okay, more people are getting into the game. There's still a struggle with editorials being done and Vogue hiring. But today that's very different. Back then it was just people would look at you at, if when I would go for um, E and I was a reporter for E, I'd go to the fashion shows and people would look at me up and down with their nose. And I, and thank God I was an athlete because I just was like, what are you doing? Why are you looking at me like that? You know, get right. down and be 20. So, I mean, right. I had a really horrible situation when this is a pivotal moment in my career when I actually left to go and get massage therapy. And this is before the 94 People magazine. A photographer actually said to my face, I'm not shooting this fatty and turned away and walked out the door, slammed the door. And I said, okay, that's it. I'm a, I'm a grown woman. I, I don't think that anybody should be ever talking to anybody like that. And why would I want to put myself through all of this? And many years later, or a few, like three, four years later, I was working down in Miami and there he was cleaned up. He was looking gross and disgusting when he said all that stuff. And he goes, Emmy, oh, we've got to work together. And this is a short version of the story. And I remember thinking he has no idea that he shot me or he tried to shoot me. And I just realized right then that bullies, when they're nervous or scared or frightened about their own realm or their own world, they will attack another person that looks different or odd or outside of the norm of what they're used to. And if I gave up, if I gave up on that day when he said, I'm not gonna shoot that fatty, I would have never have had this beautiful career that just reflects a most needed inclusive nature in who we are. And today we see beautiful women of an array of colors, an array of shapes and sizes and ages um, within the fashion, beauty and uh, modeling industry. And I am, I'm going to have to go back to a time when all of this didn't come so natural to you, mm. when, when it wasn't so easy to think, yes, we are all the same and we're all beautiful in our own way uh, because we all deal with our own demons. We all deal with traumas from childhood. Yeah. We all deal with all that stuff. And I would love to know what was your journey, if you have any stories that you'd like to share with us of what was your journey of, um, you know, all these insecurities that we have growing up and stepping into a very successful modeling career, uh, mm -hmm. being plus size. Can you please tell us how you got there? So when I was very, very young, my, my, the first cross that I saw was the scale at a Weight Watchers um, uh, meeting for my mom back in New York City. And I don't, you know, I, I remember women either crying or laughing or being gleeful, filled with glee uh, if they lost or gained weight. And I, it turned me. I just didn't really appreciate that at all. So my mom um, had such value on the shape and size of her body because she was in the, lived in during the time of Twiggy. Mm -hmm. And that reflection was very big. And she was a 5'10". She was definitely not size zero, but I think she always had that drive for thinness. So when she and my, my father divorced, I was very, very young. She married my stepfather, who also had his own issues with his own body, with the value system of... And there's a, there was a lot of shame and guilt that he grew up with. And that com combination between the two of them, um, it was 
It was really a, a, an interesting garden to grow up in where if I wasn't going to be an advocate for women's self-esteem and body image, it was either going to be, I was going to be completely a derelict in society. Mm -hmm. And it was left for the grace of God or, or, you know, really good people being in my life that just kind of things that I read, quotes, philosophy, I was really into that. Anything I could grab onto that was hopeful and up. So the incident that took place um, was shortly after my stepfather had gone to several um, eating uh, diet, diet centers and he was, he was obese and he was an ominous big 6'6", he was an ominous figure. Um, granted, he really did love us and his family, but he had such a horrible upbringing that I learned after he passed away and it made all the sense in the world. That's where I could actually forgive him. But um, one afternoon, uh, my, my stepfather and I were alone in the house and I was very active. I was very athletic. I was getting blue ribbons and red ribbons. And I was, I did a lot outside. I lived in Saudi Arabia. And uh, he said, you know, I, Melissa, my given name is Melissa, come into the room, strip down in your underwear, and I want to show you where your potential fat areas are on your body. And here I am, 12, 13, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm, I mean, it's not like you have a complete thought. You, you go, this doesn't feel right, or I don't feel right. I don't feel right. And then he took a, a black pen and drew around my thighs and drew around the back of my arm. And he was about to draw in my stomach. And I screamed, no, stop, no, like really loud. And I ran into, and he said, before he did this, he said, this is between you and I, don't tell your mother about this. So there was all this shame and weirdness. Uh, it, there was a bunch of things that was all about that. And I went into the bathroom and I took a washcloth and I scrubbed as hard as I could to get these marks away. And I said, you know, I'm going to the pool. We did, it was during most throughout the entire year, you could go to the pool there. I'm going to the pool. My friends are there. And I jumped on my bike and I drove off. And so I jump in the water and I'm having the best time. Forgot about what was going on. Hours I was there. But when I got out of the pool, I put my arms on the side of the pool and my butt was facing the pool. And my guy friends were all together. They saw the marks on my thighs that I was trying to erase. Some of the black was still there, the red from the, the rubbing. And they pointed and started laughing, not knowing, not knowing what was going on. And I don't really remember what happened after that other than me running into the bathroom and crying. And But I don't remember going home and I don't remember a lot after that it was just a strange time so when you know when i was an athlete in college i was once again my body was so my friend and i didn't see it that way it took me and helped me leap and win and swim and and get scholarships to college and I just kept on beating on it and saying you're not good enough you're not bad enough and i would over that's probably what helped me excel you know, be, be a successful athlete. Um, but it wasn't until many years later, uh, when I was in a hotel room, uh, making great money overseas. And I think I was in Germany and I said, why am I beating myself up when I'm not doing enough? There's something seriously wrong here. And I went to what is now called the National Eating Disorders Association at that time, many years ago, it was called something else. It's had many different lifetimes. 
And I went to different therapists and they go, you look healthy. You don't look like you have an eating disorder. You don't have a body image disorder. You look good. I'm like, it's not about that. <laughs> they had no, it wasn't yet really, really discussed 30 years ago. So when Nita, or it was called something else back then, I started reading about what it was to have disordered eating and what anorexia was, what exercise bulimia was, what obesity was, all these terminologies. And I was like a little bit smatterings of everything. And I thought, oh, wow, so I am not alone. And there is something here about that. And so I signed up and I said, I want to be one of your ambassadors. The more that I can learn from you, the more I'm going to grow. And when I started really understanding what I was seeing, how I grew up, what I was feeling, and the combination of that and more, when it became aware that I was unique, we are all unique, but we're so alike. And that really got me to, to thinking about, you know, the work of my, every single book I have has everything to do with how we relate to the body. My work right now in, as a life coach is really seeped deeply with body image. And the podcast that I'm launching uh, is called The Magnificent Body. And it's going to be fun to hear from women and men about how we feel about our bodies and what they do for us. I think you just said something that is really, really important for everyone to hear. And that is that even through our childhood traumas, there is, uh, there is, there is hope there. You um, ended up really searching deep to see, okay, what was, what is the issue? Why am I feeling this way? Why do I keep giving myself a hard time? I would love to know what you have to say to uh, women and men out there who are struggling, not, not just with their weight, but just with mindset, with things that may have happened earlier in life that are having long-term repercussions. Now in adulthood, they're here thinking they want to really put themselves out there and start their businesses, but there's something in the back of their mind that keeps stopping them. I wonder what advice you would have for them to, uh, to really break out of those patterns. It's a wonderful question, Ina, and it is just a mindset. So if we could think of uh, multiple realities happening at the same time, that's our life. Our lifetime as a child, our lifetime as a teenager, a lifetime as a mid-adult, and so on and so on and so on. And it's really, you know, our age is just one of those notches. Uh, and But a lot of us can take, you know, a reflection and say, oh, I'm still living with the emotional capacity as an, uh, an adolescent or a child because of this happening. So if, number one, if you need to get therapy to go back and kind of address this as an adult, seeing that you are the adult now, you're no longer the child reflecting and um, reacting as a 5, 8, 10, 13, 12-year-old, um, that's healing. And it's with the care of someone taking you by the hand and professionally trained to do that. Um, also, shifting a perspective where if you're thinking that uh, you're afraid of judgment because you have a new idea and you want to go out and you want to share this with everyone, but you're like, but the kids used to laugh at me. Um, shift that perspective one, one little notch over here and realize, well, today's a new day. And this, uh, this is going to be an idea that's going to serve. And I'm no longer there. I'm here. And um, for those people that are really looking for this good or goods or services, they're going to be attracted to it. Everyone else that isn't going to be really ready for this 
they're not going to be coming towards it. Do you really want to be someone for all people? You would not have a life. <laughs> you wouldn't have a life. So you want to be very specific with um, what it is that you put out there and the fears and, and having hope. Oh my goodness. There's somebody that I'm working with right now that just said that, you know, they don't have a, a real good grasp on what the word hope and faith mean in their life. And I said, let's take religious uh, references out of this. Um, it is truly just looking forward and thinking I am worthy of having my dreams come true. And these are the steps backwards from that goal to in order to get it and then be flexible like a bamboo tree to try something a little bit over here and over there because the path to success is never, ever a straight line, ever. And I think having systems in place so that you can have these steps and if something tries to derail you, oh, well then I have plan B. And then if you're really in a rough situation, get to your plan C. Make sure that you have a couple of plans that will get you back on track and be patient. That's the whole deal. And the last and most important thing is when an opportunity knocks on your door and you, let's just say someone asks you to be a CEO. Now this could be for anything, but hear me out. If someone knocks on your door and says for the very first time in your life, I'd really like you to be the CEO of X, Y, and Z company. We think that you'd be fabulous. We like this, this, this about you. Uh, when can you start? I want you to gather all the guts that you have if you've never been a CEO before and I want you to say yes and negotiate a great salary and just step into that role for the first day. Because every CEO, whether they've been working up in a company and getting prepared, everyone is a CEO for that first day. And if people are looking at you and giving you that opportunity to be that CEO, more times than not, people have never, ever considered this, themselves to be a CEO. Given the opportunity to be a CEO, we'll turn it down. Do not turn the opportunities come to you. Um, you will, it's being given to you for a reason. And you will learn so much from it, whether it's being a CEO, whether it's being, um, you know, taking, you know, for someone saying, oh, you're perfect. Why don't you just start modeling? I mean, my life would have been so different if I hadn't just said, why not? I've never done it before. I didn't like it very much before, but why not? It's a great one. You should just get a sign and say, why not? And put it everywhere. And um, actually, I can relate to this a lot. I was, I worked in corporate for 15 years and I'm going to tell you the word mindset never entered my vocabulary. It was all about strategy. It was all about knowing your numbers. It was all about, um, can you give a presentation? It's all about tactics. And it wasn't until I got out of corporate that I started to really get into this world of what's going on in your mind. This actually, actually matters. It's, it's preventing you from reaching the higher levels. It's preventing you from thinking of yourself as that next step, as that next team leader, as that next director, as that next CEO. Um, and I would love to hear from you if we have somebody who is listening, who's basically saying, yeah, well, I am very smart. I'm very resourceful. I know exactly what to do mindset is not really a thing for me i would love to speak to that person and to tell them and to raise their self-awareness a little bit what would you say to that person if you had them in front of you i would say i really can't wait to delve in 
and show you your backstage pass to why that is not true. Everybody has various mindsets that either propel them forward or keep them back. And it's, it's to your advantage to be aware, aware of the different mindsets that we have at different given situations, whether it, uh, there's a lot of mindsets that we have when we are about to go to a cocktail party, you know, that anxiety that you feel. And a lot of people will cancel because they have social anxiety. So to be able to give you a mindset of freedom, of grace, of goddessness, of a gentleman, just walking in and being open to anything and everything that can happen, a beautiful conversation, getting to know somebody, getting to be outside of the house when you know we're sometimes so fearful that we don't wanna walk beyond our own door, our front door, because it's safer here. We're losing if we do that. This is life meant to be lived, meant to be experienced. So just shifting a mindset or replacing a mindset with another one can make the difference from having a really sour, difficult day to one that is filled with possibility, one that is absolutely open and free. Um, so I, I chat, you know, there might be a, a fear to say, uh, I, I don't believe in different mindsets and I just wanna, you know, keep it. If you're trying to keep it safe, you're gonna have this type of a life this kind of a little life. And that's fine if that's exactly what you want to do. But if you have goals and dreams, admit that you don't know everything. Admit that you are ready to learn and be open to what's going to come because that's the beauty of life. Yeah. And I love it that you said that. One of the biggest impacts in my career post-corporate has been having the right mentor has been having somebody who is putting up a mirror to me and saying, these are the things that I'm seeing reflect that you're reflecting out. Where does that come from? What are we going to do about that? How are you going to act next time that this shows up? And I, I'm dealing with that even today uh, in personal relationships that things that come up, these things ref have a way of popping up in my business as well. So it's so important to get that kind of help. And um, I have loved hearing all about your story. And one thing that keeps popping to mind for me is that you have managed to evolve and never quit. You've always had your vision on the next thing and just continuing to push forward. Forward. What do you have to say to everybody who's watching your life, watching how it's all, how it's all unveiled, and somebody who may may be saying, "Well, that sounds like it was really easy for her because she was just in the right place at the right time." I would <laughs> love to know. I would love to give those people a little sense of reality of how life will throw you hard things and you have to roll with the punches. How would yeah. you illustrate that in the, the path that you've, that you've painted for us? Sure. I'm going to bring something up that uh, happened this year. Um, you know, I wish everyone good health during this pandemic. Um, but, uh, and I know that everyone was affected with uh, job losses, with adjustments um, and my family also. I had a very beautiful fall uh, session with lots of travel and lectures and, and my livelihood, uh, a few jobs here and there with modeling, but the modeling was really, um, I was phasing that out, doing more runway and enjoying that. Mm -hmm. But coming into uh, the pandemic year, every single lecture that I had that was in person, it was always in person, whether it was on a college campus, whether it was for an educational system, a healthcare system, whatever it was, was completely canceled. 
um, and scheduled for it next year or not. And so I sat back and I thought, I need to provide an income for my family. I, uh, no one is getting together uh, for shoots. So what is it that I love? And I've always wanted to get into life coaching. I've always, I've been coaching, I've been a mentor and I've been coaching uh, for years and years now, but not professionally and not certified and accredited. And I looked into it and I thought, okay, this is where I wanna go. Um, it's a passion of mine, so I'm going to get paid in order to coach people to their dreams. I'm not going to be coaching people to, to go to their dreams to get paid. It's very, very different mindset. So, um, so that just, just right now happened and I'm in it. I am absolute, I'm about to launch my website. I'm about to get into the podcast and it's, it's a, it's another unknown, but sitting back and being fearful and letting that eat at you and saying, oh, I don't know what to do. I don't know. I am very, very lucky that I have my classmates. We are switching back and forth with coaching. So I say, if you're in a place of transition or if you're wondering what matters and who you are, a life coach is a really wonderful investment because mm -hmm. boom, we go there. We go deep, we go fast, and we're we're there to listen to what you're supposed to what what you want to reveal. And everything's confidential. So when I have my turn with my own classmates to delve in, I didn't realize that I was going to be getting so much with just going to school. It's mind-blowing. So it's helped me stay on my track to be accountable. So accountability also, if you can find an accountability partner where you say this week, um, this big goal for three months or six months, let's take steps back. This is what I want to get done this week. And you check in with your accountability, say that again, accountability partner and let them be account, you be accountable to them for theirs. So find someone who's on the similar track, put it out there in your friend group and Having someone be your accountability partner helps you uh, succeed 400%. Truly. If you don't have someone, oh, I want to sleep in. Oh, that idea was stupid. Oh, I don't really want to do it. But um, I, I, can't, I can't tell you how happy I am that I've made this shift and to keep forward moving. Yeah, and I have been there. I've actually had accountability partners who are friends. I have paid mentors and coaches, and I'm going to tell you, paying a mentor or a coach has been the most effective way because you're really following somebody like you, somebody who has been there, who has walked the walk and talked the talk and who can tell you exactly these are, these can be your next steps. This is how you create that vision for yourself. So having somebody who is that experienced tell mm. you what your life could look like is incredible. It's, it's, it's unparalleled to any other accountability you can get. Um, and I have I've loved having this conversation with you. I have two more questions before we wrap. Okay. Question is, what do you think is the biggest misconception that people have about incredibly successful women like yourself? Uh, I, well, I think that there's a couple of things that, uh, that it comes easy. Mm -hmm. Possibly, but for some women, I think it, other women will look and, and think that there's a limited amount in the pot so that when one woman succeeds, that there's less for her. That is definitely a misconception. 
I want to just say this right here and right now with you and your global phenomenon uh, followers, um, global phenomenon trotters, mm -hmm. um, that everyone is born with incredible success all built in. You know, it's, it's really about our perceptions, about our mindset, but we have that capacity. So when somebody else is doing really well, it's really important that we applaud and we are happy for them and not think ill of them because um, we too have that ability and that uh, that capacity to have that wonderful success however we see it if we apply ourselves mm -hmm. um, number two uh, it is a lot of hard work uh, it's a lot of doing exchange for work and bartering and it's there's a lot of work where um, you don't get paid sometimes where you just are grinding it out and you just have to also take a take a break um, and when when you're pulling yourself up when you're working like this you've got to remember to bring other people underneath you up yeah. it's not just this way it doesn't doesn't work just pulling yourself up there's a circular effect by um, sharing the wealth of knowledge that you have with other people um, and uh, be really grateful. Let the people know that have helped you that you are grateful for their work. Very important. I love it, especially because you touched on one of our principles in the global phenomenon is we believe in propping others up, not yep. just looking for opportunities for us, is helping everybody around us too. And our final question is, this is about a call to action. I'm giving you the power that Anybody who hears your voice over the next 24 hours have to do what you're about to tell them to do. So this is somebody who wants to improve their life, somebody who wants to reach incredible levels of success. What is that one thing that they need to do in the next 24 hours to make that happen? Okay, this is what I want you to do in the next 24 hours. I want you to have um, a piece of paper next to you, and I want you to have a conversation with your body, probably most likely for the first time. Talking to your body like it's your best friend. Thanking your body for everything that you can list that it does for you automatically every single hour, second, day, year, decade after decade. And with that, I want you to uh, go to your stove and I want you to say from here on out, we're going to align as those, the mentor back and forth, best friends with one another so that no matter what happens, no matter what anybody says, no matter what anybody might insinuate by the way you look, by the way they look at you when you're about to walk into a C-suite for that big meeting, you're about to land it, that no matter what, you know who you are, the whole of you whether it's at home in an argument or at home and when you're in bed or when you're with friends out or with on your own, that you know who you are. Because with that, you can go and achieve those things that you want in a wholesome, well-rounded way. When you're in front of that, that, that um, stove, I want you to burn those, that paper of all those lists of things and say, I am here for you. No longer is the body bashing. No longer am I going to beat you up. No longer am I going to devalue you. No one's going to say anything poorly about you. I am there for you.
I love that so much. I feel like I, especially today, I needed to hear that. Thank you so much, Emmy. It's been such a pleasure to walk through your story. And how can everyone find you? Okay, so you can go on to emmywellness.com and uh, the global phenomenon. I'm going to be a, a part of this wonderful, I'm going to be on here with you, which is great. And uh, you can check me out on Supermodel Emmy. And you can check me out on Instagram as well as on Facebook and on Emmy Wellness over at Facebook. I love it. Thank you so much, Emmy. It was so nice to talk to you today. Thank you, Ina. A pleasure, a pleasure. Hey there, Ina here. After this interview, you may be wondering, how is Emmy setting up her online presence for her new life coaching business? What was her approach to pivot into life coaching? What is she doing right that you should be doing in your coaching business? I'm going to answer these questions and more in the next episode, where I will teach you three things Emmy is doing very right in starting her new business. So you can start doing these things right now. So make sure to hit the subscribe button on your podcasting app and watch the companion episode coming up next. And to send me a question for the Q&A segment in the next companion episode, go to theglobalphenomenonpodcast.com and I will answer your question on the air. I'll see you on the next one. Thank you for listening to The Global Phenomenon with Ina Coveney. Join the conversation inside the Facebook group at theglobalphenomenon.com slash Facebook. Listen to new interviews every Monday and learn with a companion episode every Thursday. This podcast was created by Ina Coveney, music by Jared LaBelle, and this was the voice of Kip Clark.